I am delighted to be joining you today on the podcast. My name is Helen Walsh. I am a life coach and a health coach and I've been a trainer for over 30 years. So I've worked with loads of bodies, uh, both mentally and physically. And um, I just really want to use this space to try and help as many people as we can in terms of bringing you small tips and bits of information that might be helpful to you in your everyday life. I'm joined in studio today. Uh, very excited to have um, special guest Jake Lombardis with me. He's a final year student in psychology in Dunleary, and I'm delighted to have a whole other angle on youth and mental health and so we will definitely be delving into that in a while you're very welcome jake thanks helen happy to be here with you thanks so the first thing i thought i'd do is just over christmas uh, i tend to read a little bit more like most people we, we have the time probably a bit more to read and i've got through a couple of books and some of them that i found really really helpful i don't know if you've come across any of these but one of the first ones is a guy called Richard Hogan, who's a psychotherapist. And it's home is where the start is, how your family made you and how you can make yourself even better. Now, I'm not again on some of these. The titles doesn't do justice to the book. I found this brilliant in terms of if you are not sure if you ever need counselling or if you're not sure why you, you're triggered with certain things or you react or overreact a certain way to things, this is a brilliant place to start. Um, it will just sort of, you know, it helps you in terms of placement. Where are you falling in your family? How, if you're a middle child, how does that affect you? Um, you know, and I, I just found it really, really good read. It was I flew through it and it was a very easy read. So I'd highly recommend that one. And um, the next one I got as a present, I didn't know whether to cry or laugh. Um, it's called How to Not Die Alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Logan Yuri, who is a behavioral scientist. Now, uh, what I found was was actually quite helpful. It was really good. It's basically if you are somebody who is single, say, and you'd like to go back into the dating world, but you're not really sure. So, um, Say, Jake, if you were going dating or whatever, like your your top sort of things that you'd look for in somebody. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here now. Um, I would say that you can have like a, a mutual sort of um, effort at, at listening. You know, I feel like listening is, is a big thing where it's not just one person trying to take charge of, this, of the conversation. Uh, I think I think listening is is the first kind of step towards developing a, a connection with, with somebody. You're way ahead of me <laughs> in terms of that because I, uh, particularly in your at your age, uh, I would have went for they have to be fun, mm -hmm. they have to have a great sense of humour, like, and I would have went for all the real mad mm -hmm. sort of end of things where I'm going to enjoy important. myself. They're yeah. all important as well. Yeah. However, if you get somebody that has just got a great sense of humor and then there's no stability with that, then it's not going to, mm -hmm. to really help. So this is where the book came in. The, the top things she lists was emotional stability, loyalty, a growth mindset, which I was sort of surprised about. And I delved into a little bit more. And it's where, you know, it's just somebody who is a bit ambitious about their own life or has that little bit of a drive that they want to, to do different things and try mm -hmm. different things. Your life obviously is going to be have more dynamic to it, you know, and be less boring, I suppose, yeah. at, the, at the end of the day. Personality obviously came into it, skills, um, decision making. So, um, yeah, all good. Listening is not in there. 
was sort of, or it's further down in the book, but mm. it's, uh, and it's really important, I would mm. think. So I 100% agree with you on that. Sometimes, though, I think when you meet somebody initially, for anyone who's going dating, if you're nervous, you can sit there and talk and talk and talk and talk mm-hmm. and you can talk yourself out of the date before you're even an hour into it. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I think it's important to sort of have your little bit of an intro about yourself if that's what you want to do, but then show an interest yeah, really in the other person. Yeah. So it's a minefield out there. Like I know from years ago doing, you know, been on the dating sites and whatever, you know, they're sitting on airplanes and motorbikes and cars that they don't own. <laughs> you know or there might be the partner is in the picture scribbled out a little bit and oh my god please don't guys please don't no they start no but it it, and if you are going to do it online I think it's it's a couple of hours a day really that you need to be putting into it Mm. to process and you'll start to see the the red flags then with people or whatever you know Mm -hmm. I just want fun well, we know what that means, you know, yeah. they're, they're, you're not interested really in a relationship per mm-hmm. se. But anyway, interesting book um, for anyone who is thinking about getting back out there. It's a good place to start. So I found that good. Um, Stephen Bartlett, speaking of podcasts. Uh, oh, my God, has some amazing guests. Yeah. On He's got top psychologists and quantum physicists and all sorts of uh, exciting people bringing the top end of their game to the podcast what I do find with Stephen is sometimes the guests are contradicting themselves a little bit mm-hmm. so he'll have somebody on talking about maybe sugar and glucose and how the peaks of that is an issue and then the next thing they'll have somebody else going actually it's the fat and the processed food that's worse mm-hmm. or whatever. so there's a little bit of some of the stuff contradicting itself but in general you can't go wrong mm-hmm. His book, The Diary of a CEO, is 33 Laws of Business and Life, is actually really good for anyone who is in startup mode. And it talks about the pillars that you need to sort of have, or as he calls them, the buckets that you need to have filled up. You know, so you need to have the experience in one bucket. You need to have the contacts. And networking is something that we were always brilliant at in Ireland till COVID. And I think even afterwards, people found it really hard to go back out and, you know, still engage or whatever. I don't know if you find that, Jake, but when you go into a room now, whatever, people are still not really sure. Should they shake your hand? Mm. Should they have that contact? Might be a little bit different for younger people. I think uh, often the go to move for, for young people, especially guys, is like, you know, the handshakes and the, the dap ups, as they call it. Is that uh, what it's called? Yeah. It's a <laughs> I'm learning of, already. A Love it. <laughs> um, or we we'd even hug, you know. Um, so it might be it might be an age thing. I feel like young people were often less less concerned at, as, as it was even from the beginning. Mm. Um, so there's probably a little bit of a of a gap there with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, I know in the some of the business um, networks that I've gone to or whatever, there is that sort of hesitation with people. They're not really sure. People stopped giving out business cards mm. because they didn't want to be spreading germs and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And that's sort of now coming back around a little bit as well. But anyway, look, anyone at the start of their business, um, it's a really nice little book, business book to start on. And I would say if you're in startup mode to make sure you keep yourself motivated, get yourself a good mentor and just try and keep it because it's very lonely at times. 
um, run your own business. You really, the, all the questions stop and start with you. And if you have a team or a tribe, if you like, around you, it just makes everything much easier. Um, so anyway, Jake, tell me about your course that you're, you've, you're nearly at the end of. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I have a few months left. Um, I'll be finishing up in May. It's an applied psychology bachelor's degree. So uh, it's four years and it's it's been good. I, uh, I've noticed like there are certain limitations within mainstream psychology. It's very much, uh, there's, there's very much a mainstream way of doing things and way of seeing things and anything that doesn't fit within that model is, is kind of like brushed off or often disregarded. Um, is it outdated? I wouldn't necessarily say it's outdated. I think it's, it, w w one of its, it's a strength and weakness at the same time in that it tries to be as much of a science as let's say physics, chemistry, biology, um, which I think there's very much a place for, but it can't, that can't be the whole thing because psychology as the study of the, the mind, you know, that the, the two words, psyche and logos, they come from two Greek words. Psyche is mind or soul and logos is the study of. So um, it literally means the study of the mind or the soul. And, you know, seeing as that's an immaterial um, part of our being, it's not something that can be subject to um, observation and, and measurement the same way Testing. physics can. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, behavior is one observable aspect of it. And so it's very much, I feel like, become rather than the study of the soul, just the study of observable human behavior. So it's, it's kind of dried it out a lot. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of the interesting parts, like uh, for me anyway, things to do with like uh, the depth of the psyche and dreams and all of these things that, that aren't directly observable, they kind of get pushed to the side and neglected and almost treated as if they're not, they're unimportant. I think it's coming around though. I think mm. there is changes, you know, and progression in that area a lot more than they used to be. Yeah. It was very textbook, the whole psychology and area of psychology. And even when the likes of life coaching came along, it was very dismissed and very whatever, where it plays a huge part in helping people even psychologically with things to have those behavioral things put in place mm -hmm. and look at something like your sleeping habits and, you know, your dreams and, and how that processes or plays out in your life. Um, so I think there's a lot of areas that it crosses into, but you're right, as a science, there's a very black and white sort of way of, of looking at that. Mm -hmm. Did you find when you were doing the course, because you're three years in now, is it three? This is the fourth year now. Fourth year, yeah. sorry. So did you find that there's an area you're more drawn to then? Oh, definitely, yeah. The, but this was something I was more drawn to even from the very start. And it, this is perhaps why I noticed those, what I perceive as to be limitations so so strongly. Because it actually, for me, my interest in, in any of this stuff uh, started in 2019. I read a book called The Power of Now by, by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah. And in that book, he... He talks a lot about consciousness and he uh, would kind of subscribe to the idea that consciousness is is everything, that there's only one consciousness in the in the universe and we're all just different forms or expressions of the same consciousness. So in that sense. So like an energy. Yeah. And, and, in, and in that sense, that energy or that consciousness would be more fundamental than, say, matter, whereas the, the view that dominates psychology is the materialist 
worldview that that with not just psychology but science as a whole the view that matter is the most real and that consciousness comes from matter rather than the other way around you know yeah and so consciousness was a huge interest of mine because even within materialist you know science and viewpoints consciousness is they call it the hard problem of consciousness because we have still no idea how it it, it works or how it exists um so that was where my fascination came from and that was what drew me led me to psychology and then i found throughout the years oh, oh yeah so to your question there's a there's a module we're doing this year called transpersonal psychology okay which basically means beyond the self trans is beyond and then mm. personal the the ego self so would transcendental meditation come into that that would definitely be something that would that would sort of pertain to that area yeah well you're going to love this story yeah i met ivor brown okay years ago and he came into the gym where i was working and he gave me one of the first tapes on transcendental meditation no way. to try now, I couldn't get my head around it. Mm-hmm. It was, I think it depends on where you're at, obviously, in your life. But I was in a very busy, hyper, you know, everything was dance and fun and parties and mm-hmm. whatever. So to try and sit down and get my brain to be quiet and and just to say to anyone who's trying it, you won't get it first time with any meditation, mm-hmm. I don't think anyway. No, yeah. I think it, it is a practice for mm-hmm. a reason. It's a called a practice. But oh my God, the the peace and quiet that you can actually achieve and how you can feel at the end of it is amazing. But he gave me my first little cassette tape. Some mm-hmm. of you don't know what a cassette tape is. I know, I know, <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> um, or whatever, but the, the, uh, in transcendental meditation. So I did, I did meet him. But I think the consciousness thing, the mainstream awareness of that in my estimation at the Mm. moment is around things like mindfulness we have become much much better at adapting to those sorts of things and being Mm. aware of all right this is my moment right now this is where i'm at this is what's surrounding me this is whatever and there is something else at play and and you know there is Mm -hmm. um but it's it's how much you tap into that or or you don't. Yeah. But I noticed that there's very much progression towards things like the psychedelic aspect of yeah. of some of the experiments and stuff. So what do you think about that that end of I think that uh the psychedelic research um and psychedelics in general as a tool are in my view probably like one of the definitely one of the most fascinating um, and promising sort of areas of, of psychology. Uh, again, the same root that I mentioned earlier, it's like psyche, the, the Greek word, uh, comes into this word again, but this time the, the, second, uh, the, root, the second root of the word is delos, which means to reveal. So the, the term psychedelic literally means to reveal the soul or to manifest the mind. So in that sense, they're tools for the exploration of the mind. So they actually, they couldn't be more fitting to the area of psychology. And it's, I think now people are beginning to, as it started in the 60s and 70s, yeah. the people who were doing the research, they started to realize it. And it, there's, they call it like a psychedelic renaissance at the moment. It's being revived. The realization that these are actually tools that can be very useful for exploring the mind. Is it hard to test and measure though with them? Um, is that Has that been the issue? All along, really. Well, in terms of the illegalization and the, the, like, because there was a period in the sixties and 
in particular when the the research was very alive and thriving and then it was all shut down and that actually is more uh, far more political the reasons for that yeah uh, it was yeah. it was you know tied in with the, the counterculture in America and was causing a lot of people to because it is an, adu- an induced state yeah so you have to take something to get to that state yeah. obviously yeah and so for most part and most countries the substance that you would take or whatever you would take be would illegal. be illegal yeah yeah and that was very much the due to like the driving force of the US government they banned all everything because you know it was tied in with people dropping out of the systems and the war and everything like that and so the government viewed that as a threat to, to their power, which it was. So they banned it, not just for recreational use, but shut down all the research, despite the fact that it was so promising. And then all the other countries, uh, well, actually before that, the the US government, they spread lots of these propaganda videos and, and just f- fake That's education. That's happened over the years it. with various different aspects of, of, of um, research, isn't it? And yeah. it's, it's all very controlled and yeah. a lot of the medical stuff. But just to take you back a step, um, on a, it's it's progressive. Mm-hmm, it definitely. looks like this is, the doors are opening now or yeah. whatever. So like that's very exciting for the yeah. likes of yourself, a young psychology student going out there, which is great. But can I ask you what you think in general about mental health for younger people in Ireland? Mm-hmm. Do you think that we have enough resources? Do you think that we can be doing more for ourselves? Like what what would be your take on sort of where we're at? I think that there's there needs to be more sort of models or, or tools or frameworks for, for people, not just young people, for everybody. Yeah. Um, because, first of all, I feel like mental health and, say, depression specifically is quite misunderstood. Uh, there's a book, actually, that would be great, maybe if you're, if you're looking yeah. for another one to review, called Lost Connections okay. by Johan Harry. He's a journalist who investigated uh, depression and, and the, the real causes behind it. And the first section of the book is spent essentially debunking the idea that it's caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. That's a very profitable sort of narrative for the pharmaceutical companies, because if it's caused by a chemical imbalance, then hypothetically it can be fixed by the, you know, the antidepressants or the SSRIs that uh, they claim will, will, will rectify that imbalance. And that is a go-to here for a very lot of much, people. And yeah. I have to say in uh, and I'm not in favor of it one way or the other, but I have seen it save people and mm. um, because it's just been able to get them to a calmer place yeah. where maybe they can take more control of what's going on. I, I, sorry, I yeah. think I think it very much can provide people with some relief and get mm. them to a stage that they can then do the work. Yes. But it doesn't address the core of the of the issue. Yeah. No, it's a sticky plaster for the most part. Yeah. With things. Yeah. And that is not to to you know, there are loads of people who are on an antidepressant and whatever, and it's helped them greatly. Mm-hmm. And that's what they need to function for that period of time. But I agree with you that it should come with a plan of action then. Yeah. So when I'm feeling better, then how do I get myself physically in better shape? How do I get myself mentally in better mm-hmm. shape? What are the, the things? And what I have found working with people for years who have come to me with mental health issues themselves and in dealing with my own struggles over the years is things like rituals are huge uh, routine mm-hmm. you know getting up as they say something as basic as making the bed yeah. you know going for your walk every morning making sure that you drink your three glasses of water a day and all those things that physically will build your strength will help you mentally mm-hmm. um, 
if you had somebody sitting in front of you who was struggling a little bit with mental health, Jake, and this is very random, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, very thrown it out there without any background, but I'm just, what would be your single biggest thing that you would say to them uh, to give them a bit of hope that everything yeah. will be okay? Well, I, if, if in, in terms of maybe trying to give advice or help, what I would mostly, I, I again would go to the framework offered in this book because after that first section, he he comes to the conclusion based off of his research uh, and, and and investigations that depression is actually a cause of having what he calls lost connections. So these certain human needs that aren't being met. So for example, connection to other people, connection to nature, connection to meaningful work, connection to meaningful values. There's all of these things that these aspects of our lives that if if we're not meeting those needs, we're more likely to, to, to you know, start struggling mentally. Mm-hmm. So that would be the thing that I would kind of draw from because it, it's a framework, you know, that helps. Uh, you can look at each of those things. There was only, I mentioned four or five out of nine yeah. of them. But you can look at each of those aspects of your life. The hierarchy of human needs, basically, is it? it it's not so much a hierarchy yeah. because it, he doesn't order them. Okay. But uh, it's it's like a list of, of, of human mm. needs. And so that would be the thing for me. I would. The I nature would, connection is brilliant. It's a huge I think, one. Yeah. It's so easy to implement. It's, mm-hmm. it's literally get yourself out of the house. Like if you're feeling really bad or if something's upset you or if you have that noise that goes over and over and over in your head and you can't pull it back, mm-hmm. even just going out and having a, a walk down the beach or, you know, in a forest or somewhere where there's maybe dogs running around the place yeah. or without any sort of connection yeah. changes your state. Yeah. And I think when you're in that place, it's about changing your state yeah a good old cold shower of course mm-hmm. is another yeah another one that i'd say to people look if you really feel that sort of panicky horrible sensation get into a normal shower and just take the temperature down till it's cold and give yourself a blast of cold water it's just a shock to the system a little bit but there are things that you will have available to you now and if you are in trouble with your mental health it is so important that you go and speak to somebody mm-hmm. but i'm going to put a caveat on that and say it's important you talk to the right person because you can go to a doctor or a GP and with the greatest respect, they do a great job for the most part, but you can sit down with them and tell them that you're in trouble and they mightn't hear you. Mm. Or they might know you from the time you were a kid and go, ah, he's big grand, I sure I know him, he's all right. Like this is just, he's just going through a wobble or whatever, or she. So I think it's really important that you go to the right person that you're heard and you need to make sure you're heard. So if you tell somebody, I feel suicidal or I feel really hopeless or I'm really just depressed for a long time now that their response to you is I hear you you know or okay let's see what the plan of action is and I think if you're not getting that response you need to knock on another door yeah and not give up because it can be very off-putting if you go to your GP and they say I'll be grand Sure, everyone's going through a bit of a wobble at the moment. Loads of illness around the place, you know, coming out of COVID, da, da, da. And then they're not heard. And I think that's where people fall through the cracks a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's not support and there's not. And there is help out there. Yeah. Also, I think a lot of the time, from from what I've heard, when, when it comes to going to like a GP with, you know, mental struggles rather than physical ones, Often, again, the, the, the SSRIs seem to be kind of like a fallback rather than going into those details mm-hmm. of different aspects of people's lives, you know, psychological, social, environmental, 
parts of our lives that may be contributing towards our, our mental struggles, a lot of the time as a fallback, those things are, aren't even addressed and it's just, you know, the prescription, which yeah, again because can if help, you have if you have time with the GP, maybe 10 minutes or whatever, they don't have time to go into all of that. Yeah. But it's really important that if they are giving you a prescription for something, that they also say you need to go and have some talk therapy with somebody. Exactly. Or, yeah, you know, even, even down to the life coach, a, a good life coach mm. would be able to sit and say, OK, it's a bit more extreme than I would deal with or that I would want to take on with you so I will refer you to whatever but just someone to talk to somebody to say like this is what my life looks like at the moment and it's not right for me or it doesn't feel right and I think the big message here is that there is help out there Mm -hmm. and that you do need to talk to the person but just find the right person and all the helplines that are available and we put the the list up um there's fantastic people on the end of those phones who do have the time mm-hmm. to talk to you and yeah. listen. And I think that's really important. And they also would have a lot of those, you know, tools and frameworks. That's that's what makes part of what makes them so useful, you know, in those mm. in those roles that they they've been trained and they they have a great set of tools and frameworks to help to provide people with to help them to do the work within that framework. You know, yeah. So, look, the big thing is have hope. Mm-hmm that the way you feel now doesn't mean that that's the way you're going to feel in six months time or in a year time. It just can be really painful and really horrible when you feel stuck in that place. It's like being stuck in muck. That's how I've described it to mm-hmm. people. And then all of a sudden, you know, you do the work on yourself or you, you find the right p- framework. And it's like someone plugging you in. It's like, oh, this is how I'm meant to feel. And this is, yeah. you know, how it is. So don't give up. Read the books, listen to your podcasts, Mm -hmm. you know, go and speak to someone, ring the helplines. Don't be afraid that you're bothering them or taking up time and just there's help out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Jake, I would talk to you all day (laughs) about our books and about our our theories about things and whatever. But We're coming to the end of the podcast now and um, I just want to really thank you for coming in and taking the time to talk to us. And I'm really excited to see that our psychological sort of pathways now are going to be taken over by people like you and it gives us great hope that there's going to be progression in all the right areas and that people can get more help and we'll just keep pushing for it in this country because you know we have a lot of issues going on at the moment Mm. and i i just we we're we're putting out the hand of hope here Mm. to people and saying there is ways around it and there are there are ways out yeah so thank you so much thanks thanks jake thanks a million Uh, I just, again, want to thank my guest, Jake Lombard, today and Ronan Kelly on sound. I couldn't do it without you. And uh, I'm just delighted to be here. We're going to run the podcast every two weeks. I'll bring you different subjects and different topics. If anybody wants to get in contact with me, info at helenwalsh.ie. And you'll have my information is on helenwalsh.ie as well, if you want to have a look at my profile and background. Um, but we love to have guests on and we will be delighted to, to speak to different Uh, people about different areas of mental health and also social wellness and bring you loads of different things so you have something good to listen to every two weeks so thank you so much